0: Real quick, before we get into today's episode, which actually is a long one, I just debated on whether I should break it up into two parts. But the information that Matt Wallace delivers is so valuable. Uh, I knew that you would enjoy it and you would be okay with the extra long episode. Also, want to remind you about the MIB Secret Society. The MIB Secret Society is a special subscriber only podcast that I release once a week. We go behind the scenes. I get a little bit a little bit more raw, get to do a little bit more teaching, get to, you know, get a little bit more hands on and get to know you a bit more. If you're interested in learning more about the MIB Secret Society and becoming a subscriber, just go to rickbarker.com forward slash secret. Now I'm excited to get into this week's episode. This podcast is designed to keep you up to date with the changes in the business and to give you the mindset, tools, and resources that you need to succeed. Helping you navigate the music industry, here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. How are you?
1: Dude, I'm living the dream. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I woke up this morning. I know someplace someone didn't, so I'm very grateful.
1: Dude, Uh, that's a great outlook.
0: I was, you know, that's what I tell people. It's like, it was interesting when I turned 30 years old, everyone was like, dude, you seem so excited to be 30. I'm like, yeah, because none of my friends thought I'd live past 25. You know, it's like the craziness that I was doing in the 80s, the drugs, the places I was hanging out, the situations I was putting myself in. Everyone's like, good luck. You know, well, we would yeah. not be surprised. I, They would not have been surprised if I was the call they got saying something happened. So yeah. Yeah. So any day that I'm above ground right now is a real good day. And then any day I'm above ground and able to go out and golf and, you know, see people like yourself out there is even a better day. And when I get to talk to you to bring your knowledge and wisdom and experience to my peeps, it's even a better day. So on with me right now is uh, Matt Wallace. Uh, Matt has a very interesting story. I'm going to let him share a little bit of that. And then we are going to Uh, talk a bit about what is happening with his current artist who is not signed to a major label who does not have major financial backing uh, besides his own now because they're in a great situation but how he was able to take an independent artist and I'm not going to spoil the story but let's just say does not fit the mold when people tell me That the only way you can be successful is if you're young, thin, attractive, have a major label, know someone, wait till you hear this story. So Matt, first off, welcome. And uh, I'm glad we were able to do this. We we left, we golfed together the other day. We both belong to the same club out here. And I'm like, dude, I got to get you on my podcast. I said, I have this music industry podcast. And he's like, no, I know who you are. And I'm like, what? So let's just catch up a little bit. Tell everyone a little bit about you, how you found me, and then let's jump into, uh, we'll just, I'll, I'll tease it, the jelly roll story.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So yeah, I moved up to Nashville probably about 17 years ago. I'm, I'm 33 now, so I would have been 16. And like, I really was a player. I was an instrumentalist. I, I had a studio and you know, I'd recorded my own band and I'd kind of done things. And it was like right about the time that MySpace was coming along. Right. And so there was a few artists that were like killing it on MySpace, really pushing their music. And so I was like, okay, well, me without any backing or any label, I got to figure out a way to use social media to, 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 move the needle. And so ended up getting into a whole bunch of crap and producing an artist and wound up at MTSU. And I thought I was just going to be a knob Turner in my, my senior year at MTSU, my brother who, uh, Is four years older than me was like dude you kind of already knew how to do the records thing dude and record like you should just get an accounting degree or something on the business side and I was like yeah okay I mean yeah see your point you know CPAs are expensive so did that and then you know graduated and he was like you know you've got enough hours to sit for the CPA exam you should try that and so set for the CPA exam and passed that thing And then kind of got pigeonholed and trapped into being a CPA for about six years.
0: So do you think your brother, that was his polite way of saying you're never going to make any money as a musician. And he encouraged you to go down this path where there might be some money. But maybe your parents put him up to this. You know, maybe the family's like, dude, he listens to you. Put a bug in his ear. Get him out of the studio get him to the calculator
1: (laughs) no yeah yeah I think my parents were just thrilled that after dropping out of high school I found a way to get into college you know they were like okay you know we're cool whatever Matt does (laughs) at least he made it into college somehow he didn't just drop out of high school and end up on drugs somewhere which could have been the easy thing you know sure that was my route
0: yeah that was my route
1: instead I ended up in college on drugs so I'm not sure how much better it was but (laughs) yeah so like um. So started doing that and got trapped in the CPA world. And it's just kind of like the hustle and bustle, 70-hour work weeks, doing tax returns, doing audits. But I'm grateful for it because you get a lot of experience like seeing how businesses are built, you know, seeing I wasn't at one of the big four firms. I was at like the seventh largest accounting firm. So right. it was a lot of like large privately owned companies, much like an independent artist, you know? um, And then one of my specializations became trucking so I really learned the logistics side of how trucking worked and I was like okay it just kind of clicked one day I was like this is not too much different than a touring band um there was a partner at the firm that had a few really big music clients and uh you know I'd been a music major and a couple of my buddies from MTSU kind of started to have a little bit of pop and so I was like all right well dude I'll do your taxes you know just shoot me over all this crap And then just like being the business-minded human I was from six years or seven years of being in a desk, I would just have like recommendations, things to look at like ROI and just like really business-minded principles that when I would talk to the manager, I found the managers were lacking a lot of that because they were some guy that was in a band or they were some guy that had a few connections with some labels or it was just, that was why they were managing bands. It wasn't because they were a business all-star go-getter.
0: Real quick, for those of you listening, ROI means return on investment. And in a traditional case, here's, here's the money the manager understands. If $100 comes in, he gets $15. Then he hands off the rest of the money to the business manager and lets the business manager figure it out. So what Matt's saying right now is that, as he's getting ready to transform, he's able to not only bring in a music business understanding, a music understanding, but now he's starting to bring in this music business understanding, and that's what's going to actually set him apart. Now back to our regularly scheduled program already in progress.
1: Yeah, so I finally like climbed this CPA ladder, and I left the big firm I was at and started doing my own thing, and I partnered up with this guy, Mike Chrysler. And we built this firm to like four offices and 24 employees. And I was like, I'm going to sign some music business clients and we're going to do this business management crap. You know, like this is the space I want to be in. So I signed my first guy, a kid named Luke Combs. Just a kid
0: named Luke Combs?
1: Just a kid named Luke Combs, casual, you know what I mean? And then I had Riley Green, another one. And then I had this band, on Bloodline, that was living in my basement at my house here in Donaldson, what's now a studio. This is where <laughs> Gary and Charlie used to be sleeping. So, uh, so I had these guys, and like, I think it was about two or three months into to the, my last busy season there. It's February, and and on's like, dude, you need to manage us. We don't want you to business manage. Like, we want you to just like drive the ship. We don't have a manager. We're about to sign this publishing deal. Like, we really need a guy like you in our space. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'll give it a try. I don't think they expected me to walk into my firm the next day and like, just leave. Like I told my partner, I was like, I'm out. And he was like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And I was like, no, like I'm out for good. I don't want to buy out. I don't want anything. But if this just does not work on me, I need you to like, give me a bailout here in a couple of years. If I just fall flat on my face, like that's all I'm asking. You know, and just give it a shot. So, I started managing this band, and we had started doing this thing where we would do covers every Monday. And I was like, okay, well, these guys are great singers. This is what they can do on socials that really act, you know, accents what they do well, which is sing and play guitar and have great harmonies. Like those guys just had that, and they can play a hundred songs. And like, you know, so it was like so easy for us to just like, well, every week we're going to do this, like. Social media, we're going to do it about four o'clock on Mondays. And it got to where if I was a little late to upload, like fans would be DMing me on Facebook. Where's like, the Where's video? Monday? Yeah. Where's <laughs> yep. I Monday? You know, so I was like, okay, well, this is, this is working for these guys. And so I think we built them up on their Facebook to about 100,000, you know, likes or whatever at the time. And they dropped their first EP, which like Billboard charted 13 or 14 in country. Yep. So this was a band that had two, two or three singles out before then drops their first EP, never been on radio, never been nothing, but they hit the Billboard charts. And now like,
0: real quick, oh. let me just teach off this for a second is because yeah. what he just talked about was the consistency that this band had. Now yeah, they came at a time when Facebook really wasn't pushing ads yet. So there was still this visibility for the bands that were consistent. So if you showed up, Facebook notified your fans and let them show up. And what also happened was they were able to build such a relationship with these fans that when they needed them to go download the record or stream the record, they were able to chart as an independent artist because of what the fans were willing to do for them, because of what the band was willing to do on a consistent basis. That's where I was introduced to the guys through it. They DM me on Instagram and we got to talking and just loved their story and loved their vibe and their personality and their consistency and I didn't even find out that you were involved with them until you shared that with me just a couple days ago so you've got this billboard you've charted on billboard the band's being consistent pick up on this story
1: yeah and so like we just keep hustling and then the next record does well and then we start to shoot videos and when I say we like I shot videos for the band like I was like I'm gonna figure this out you know because like Independent bands, they don't have money. So I couldn't like call my buddies. Like I got plenty of dudes in here that can shoot five to $10,000 videos in Nashville, Tennessee, but quite transparently at that time in their career, they weren't they weren't able to afford you know production yeah. like that. So it was kind of like, what are the barriers to entry? And so we're gonna go back to business principles. The barriers to entry for an artist are how do you get music out there? And how do you shoot videos? How do you keep the content? How do you keep all that stuff rolling? You know, and, and most of the time it's a financial barrier to entry, but if you can find a way to remove those from the artist, then there's less excuses to why they can't do this. And so I just like would always listen to an artist when they say, well, I can't do that because, and I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to fix the because, and then what's your, what's your, you know, well, and the
0: thing for a good manager is if you keep getting them coming back with more excuses, walk away from that artist. Cause it's never going to work no matter how, but I mean, that's, that's the yeah. most artists will just keep, or managers will just keep trying to answer those questions. If you get four or five, I can't do this, that's a warning sign to move on to the next artist that says I can, because right now, it's free to shoot video if you own a phone. It's free to upload music on SoundCloud. It's free to upload your videos on YouTube. It's free to register your music with BMI and ASCAP. So if you're the type of artist that's always making excuses, this is not the right business for you. Come to grips with that. Treat it like a hobby. Have fun with it. But when you want it to be a business, a smart business person, we talked about one of the things I'm big on right now is stop saying, how do I do this? And start finding out who can show me how to do this. It's like you guys spend so much time on the hows, but the hows right now are the chase. How did that person go viral on TikTok? I'm going to spend all my time trying to go viral. How did that person go viral on YouTube? Instead of saying, who can teach me how to consistently put my music out, which I just heard from Matt, to where I can build a relationship with an audience? Because most people who go viral have zero relationship with their audience, in my experience and in my opinion.
1: Yeah. And then, too, the the thing that Muscadine did well, and I want to touch on this, is that between me, Gary, and Charlie, we worked the inbox. So right. if a fan messaged us, they didn't n- not get responded to. We were quick to respond because that's how you build that connection. The second they send you a message and you can talk to them about this, or you can, maybe they saw the on Monday and they don't know you have original music and you can share them a link to a YouTube video and you create this dialogue. I mean, we were very early adopters of the Superphone app. Yep. Um, so we had a great text messaging base. You know, with Muscadine Bloodline, we had a lot of things that we were doing right to make sure that direct to fan was possible because as an independent artist, direct to fan is where you thrive over the label because the label is sending you, uh, sending their music to the radio and then telling the radio to make the consumer like it. So you, uh, social media eliminates that. I'm direct to the consumer. And I think that's the key in jelly roll in Muscadine's business is right. that. I, I, I like debate some days whether I need to hire an employee just to help out with the inbox, because we can't even begin sure. to put in Angelique's inbox. jelly's inbox. Right
0: and, and I think kind of what's happened with mine right now is that I don't have time to read every message, but I have a team that says these are the ones you need to respond to. If someone just, just says hi, which is a lot of the BS that I get. Yeah. I personally don't need to go. Hi. It's like, I'm just like, I just voice message. You got a question. You know what I mean? Is there something you want? Go to the link in my bio. You'll find it. But yeah, what you just said, which is super important, is the label's responsibility is to build relationships with the gatekeepers, which is radio. Mm-hmm. They are not designed to build your audience. And a lot of artists are like, man, if I can just get with a record label, it's like if you show up to the label without a business that's already working, you are an employee. If you yeah. show up to a label like Florida Georgia Line did with 100,000 downloads already, already touring, you now become a partner. And there's a big difference in whether or not they're paying attention to you. There's a big difference in the budget conversations. There's a big difference in the time conversation. There is a big difference. And what you just said was so important was that because we're in an industry where the consumer does not have to pay to consume your product, the money is in the relationship. The label's job is not to build the relationships. All right, let's continue. And let's start moving this thing over into kind of where you are right now. Yeah, and this massive. So how did you, so you you had Muscadine, Luke Combs, you're doing the business manager stuff from many people, everybody knows I talk about Luke a lot. Uh, when people are like, dude, I gotta get in the room with like Craig Wiseman. I'm like, no, you don't. You write with your people. Luke went. There's more number one parties for brand new guys getting their first number one because Luke met up at 10 roof or wherever he decided to go. You write with who you work within your proximity. Some of you are trying to get outside of your proximity and you bring no value to Craig Wiseman. You bring no value to you know, Lee Thomas, we just saw them last night at the club, you know, they were, you don't bring value to them right now, but find your people. And it seems like the people that you work with are, they have an entrepreneurial mindset, or at least a bit of one when they get to you, because I honestly don't think you can teach anyone to be an entrepreneur, especially musicians, because entrepreneurs aren't afraid to get punched in the face. Artists are fearful of everything.
1: So, okay, you no, you nailed it right there because I have an A&R criteria on my management side about how I work with an artist and you got to be hungry, humble and talented in that order. Right. I don't want you to be talented first and hungry last. Right. You know, Like in that hunger is what fuels entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurship, because right. without that hunger and that tenacity, you're, you're going to lose in this business as an independent artist. Right, and it's not about talent. There's no shortage of talent. The internet showed us that.
0: Yeah. There's a a short of, well, and that's why I I always find myself too attracted to the hip-hop artists because they never had the performance opportunities that the pop or the country artists had. They never had the radio opportunities. There just weren't the same opportunities. They seem to be early adopters of technology. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like, you want to know why hip-hop's so big on Spotify is because kids were like, here this is how you do it you can go get as much of my music as you want on this app go ahead download it now and they're like okay yeah, yeah it's yeah. like they're they're just the hip-hop community has always excited me uh, because of that and when you can get I always felt Taylor had that mentality because when we got together the whole reason I became her manager I had zero experience is she came to me she says Rick I want a gold record I'm like great let's go meet 500,000 people I saw the response. When she found the right audience, not just trying to reach every audience, but when she went after the right audience, how fast that they, you know, became enthralled with everything that she's doing. So I'm like, we just need to go meet 500,000 people. And she had a gold record before she had a top 20 song at radio. Radio didn't know what to do with her, but we were able to go on this little app called MySpace and send the fans to Walmart to buy the record. Yeah, and there were other strategies we used for that. But that's the thing when people are like, you know, now here I am, you know, 13 years later, teaching the same philosophies and everybody's like, well, you know, you were Taylor's manager, but you guys didn't have all this stuff. I said, no, what we had was business. The business has not changed. The technology's right. changed. The ways you can get to people has changed. But get your music in front of as many people as possible. Build the relationship with those funds and monetize that relationship. That's business. That doesn't change. The technology changes the speed at which you can build a relationship because in the old days you had to tour and maybe you only came through a town once a year and there wasn't the social media platforms to stay in communication with them. It was just an email list. Whenever the band decided to send an email, now you have the ability to maintain these relationships on a consistent basis and then some magic things can happen, like we'll talk about here in a few minutes yeah, yeah. when you put shows on sale in your hometown after building relationships. So let's yeah. move into where you and Jelly Roll end up getting together. Yeah,
1: yeah, so so after working with Muscadine Bloodline for about two years, obviously I created some relationships in the business, a couple attorneys, a couple whatever, And anybody, since I've been 16 years old, I've been trying to work with Jelly Roll because I'm a producer, too, by trade. I've got probably 18 cuts on Jelly's last three albums and then also a songwriter, too. So, like, I've been trying to work with Jelly since I moved here, quite honestly. And so, finally, I had a, a, a number of people that were in his ear. It was the power of, like, six or seven people. And he was like, man, I was able to shuck it when it was, like, Ward from Whiskey Jam. I was able to shuck it when it was like Noah McPike, you know, a couple of these other dudes. But he was like, man, there was this just this dude, man, that was like really suspect, you know, definitely like a drug dealer. And he was like, you got to meet this guy. And he's like, man, I just was like, whoever this kid is, he's a chameleon. He can, he can <laughs> find a way to relate to anybody. So he's like, I got to put him on my team. And then he started looking at Musket on Bloodline. And he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. These kids are living in the basement of his house and they've daggum lapped me in the last two years. He was like, I've been doing this for 13 years and they've daggum lapped me in the last two years. They got more monthly listeners. They're getting more stuff. The only place Jelly was crushing them was YouTube because right. my dude put out videos since 2000. And let's,
0: Ever- let's explain Jelly Roll for a second. So Jelly Roll is yeah. a Nashville rapper. Yep. Jelly yeah. Roll is white. Jelly yep. Roll is plus 300 pounds. Jelly Roll has tattoos all over his face.
1: Yeah. And this so guy. here's
0: this overweight white rapper who's independent in Nashville. Right. <laughs> it's not like he's in Atlanta where it's like a hip hop hub. He's not in New York. He is in Nashville and he's trying to build this audience and he's using the tools that were readily available to him to the best of his knowledge and ability at that time and he felt that he had taken himself probably as far as he could on his own with what he knew and now everyone keeps talking about Matt and says we need to bring Matt into this world so was your first role with him as manager or were you just part of the team
1: no so I signed up uh, originally he had a manager out in LA and I signed up to be his business manager because we had we had lunch and he was like dude I gotta he was like, we got to figure this out now. He'll tell you now. He was like, man, after 30 minutes of meeting you, I knew I was going to fire my dude out in L.A., but I just had to somehow give you a trial period to make sure it was- <laughs> and All right, respect you some matter respect. So, yeah, about two or three months, I was his business manager. And then we made the switch or whatever, um, because when I came on, he was about to go on a headline tour. So I was like, well, dude, you've never ran ads or anything uh, if- to sell tickets to your shows. And he was like, no. And I was like, okay, well, this is going to be super easy. Like, I'm going actually run some ads and people are going to show up because you have these people in your social account. I can just like directly target them. Right. It's not that expensive, dude. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, let me put it to you this way, Jelly. World. Let's say if you played 100 shows for 250 people, you know, you're really only touching 25,000 people, right? Is that math right? 100 shows, 250 people, you're touching 25,000 heads. I was like, I can do that for probably like 20 bucks on the internet, dude. Like, <laughs> We can touch 20,000 people with the music videos, the content you already have slap a, you know, date and something. And here's a clip or here's jelly roll. Here's target one. it to it's a awesome. radius.
0: So the only yeah. people that are seeing it All right?
1: dropping yeah. bubbles around venues and you people are going to show up. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, dog, like hundred percent. And so first show we do, he sells out and he's like, Oh my God, this works. And I was like, yeah, dude, <laughs> I'm mean, like, nobody else is doing this. Like you're, you're not, your promoters not connected to your fan base, right. you know, like as well as they should be, you're not on radio. No one's running radio ads on your shows. Like you're not on TV. You're like, people got to know somehow to show up rather than you. Well, what you just said is their
0: radio and their TV is in their hands.
1: It's right here. We're, it's and we're saying, yeah.
0: well, why do you think I created the ads amplifier for music course to teach you guys how to run Facebook and Instagram ads? The reason I'm so excited that Matt and I are having this conversation is because he's now telling you that this stuff works. And what he just said, I think you guys may have missed it. When he just said that he can get in front of 25,000 people for 20 bucks, he's not lying. And when he says that he can run an ad, also know that you can run an ad to everyone who's engaged with your Instagram page over the last 30 days. And you can say, but I only want the people from around the Dallas Fort Worth area to see this ad because I'm selling tickets in Dallas Fort Worth that's the power of what you can do with targeted marketing and it gets even better with retargeted marketing because then you know hey I noticed you watched that video I noticed you saw the ad do you know there's only 10 tickets left you can so that's the point that I'm so excited that we're having this conversation is because The reality is this. Most of you are waiting for someone else to come do it for you. Most of you are waiting to find your Matt or to find your Rick. What you need to find is we are your who's. We are the who's that are sharing with you how easy it is to do these things. Now it's up to you to get off your butts and do it. And if you don't know it, learn it. If you don't like to learn then hire someone to do it for you and if you say I don't have money for that stop buying equipment and start investing in people that can help you run a better business I see people buying guitars they don't know how to play for three or four grand but they come to me and go dude I can't afford your $97 social media course oh but you could afford a microphone that costs you $400 (laughs) you could do a vocal lesson for 350 bucks for an hour but you yeah, can't but, afford me to teach you everything I know about how to get your music. It just amazes me that this still continues to be the
1: conversation sometimes. It's mind-blowing. 20% of it is the music itself, and 80% of it is the business and the machine and the marketing you create around the music. Right, right. I, I care how good agree. a record is. If you do no marketing on it, it's not going anywhere. Well, I tell people, I don't <laughs> care how great you think you sound if no one hears you. Yeah. Your mama can only buy so many
0: records.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's the realest thing. So yeah, I guess after all that, Jelly was like, let's do this. And like, we just kind of ran since and really just every time he's had a barrier to entry or something that's held him back, I've just kind of tried to eliminate it in the most business way possible. You know, so like what we don't worry about and what we don't waste a lot of time on is caring what radio thinks is caring what labels think is K- like I don't spend zero time thinking about that right I spend all my time thinking about how do I get someone in Lebanon Tennessee to listen to this shit and to give us a hundred dollars a year because like let's just say you're an independent artist and you want to make a hundred thousand all you have to get is a thousand fans to give you a hundred dollars a year like we're not talking big money you need a thousand super fans willing to give you a hundred dollars and you need
0: to be able to not just rely and think that you're going to get that from streaming that's just one little branch of the tree it's merchandise yeah. it's tickets and the hundred dollars could come in a 25 dollar ticket a 30 dollars t-shirt well then a
1: 50 dollar yeah, yeah
0: a, a, a limited edition vinyl it's just more artists need to learn how to create more opportunities for your buyers yeah. i'm doing this in my own business I'm spending more time focusing who's already in my world than spending all my time trying to because until I get a system and process in place to love on the people I have the worst thing I can do for my business is to bring more people in that end up feeling like a stranger once they've come into my world because I don't know how to nurture them I don't that's what nurture means I don't know how to build that relationship because once you get a buyer once you get someone to buy something the the cre- the idea is to give them More opportunities to buy. You spend a little time bringing in the new buyers, but once you get the buyers in, that's where you need to spend your time maintaining that relationship, exclusive access, early ticket bonuses, which is going to come into effect here when we talk about what happened when Jelly just put his recent stuff on sale and how they were able to sell out almost all these venues before they even put the tickets on sale to the public. Is because they knew how to build and maintain the relationship with their consumer.
1: So and, you and to to touch on that too, like the a thousand people you got to get to give you a hundred dollars. Like build your mailing lists. Build a mailing list today if you don't have one, because Facebook and IG, we don't know that they're forever. You know, Vine wasn't forever you know (laughs) there's plenty of platforms that have come and go but you know what email addresses most of people have got that email address they're going to use to give to whatever and that's going to be the email address they use to give and if you can touch your fans that way or through one of these super phone apps where you've got their cell phone number now and you can send them a text message like wow like that's those are the list you want to build because that's a lot more forever than something like Facebook and IG. And if you build them there, you'll get them on all the social media platforms as well. If you've got their email address, it's because they're glued into you on the social media pr- platforms.
0: And if you're someone that says, well, my fans don't open their email. Yeah, they do. They just don't open yours. You have to train them. You have to start. Yeah. You have to let them know. You want to open my email because you never know what it is that you're going to get. They need to be able. Just don't spam them. Just Just don't. Don't send me information about how excited you are about a show in New York. If I live in Nashville, learn how to segment, learn. And those are the things that I teach you guys is how to segment your business so that you're having relevant conversations with people. So for those that question the reality, and I don't need you to get into specific numbers and you share whatever you're comfortable sharing for those that feel that it's really hard to make a living as an independent artist. Uh, what kind, when, when did the numbers start changing for, for jelly? When did he go from that, you know, five figure, which is over $10,000 to six figures, which is over a hundred thousand dollars to now over seven figures, which by the way, if you're doing math, that's over a million dollars in business. What was that transition like? And what was it that you saw that was fueling it? And where, where is that duplicatable? Where is that for? The person that's listening right now that says, "Okay," because I have people that come to me, Matt, and it's like I'll ask them a question when they want to work with me on the survey. It says realistically, the word is in there. Realistically, where would you like to see your business in the next 365 days? Mm -hmm. I would like to be at six figures is what they say. Mm -hmm. I go, great. How much money did you make with your business last year? Well, I haven't made any money with my music yet. Okay, so you want me to 100,000 times your current music business in one year. And that's what people, they just hear what everybody else is saying. So what was kind of like that transition like, and when did the gasoline really get poured on that fire? And what what is duplicatable that we might be able to share with the folks listening to this right
1: now? Yeah, no, the the one thing that we did well early on when I started working with Jelly was identify who his, his consumer was currently and who it needed to be. And- You know, Jelly had everything he had done was from touring, word of mouth, handing out CDs. There was not digital marketing. You know, he had just put music out. He had just uploaded videos to YouTube, and admittedly, probably built one of the largest fan bases with very little strategy that I know. You know, I mean, I think when I started, it was around 150,000 monthly Spotify listeners, And, and. we're up to like 1.8 million or 1.9 million monthly Spotify listeners now. So like we've seen 10 times, 15 times growth really everywhere. Right. From a financial perspective too. So the, the biggest thing though, is that I was like, okay, well you have this core fan base that, you know, is great, but like you also appeal to this over here. You also appeal to this over here. If this is the style of music you're gonna do and dance around in this rock genre too, here's a whole nother people that should know about you. Here are more people that should know about you. And, and a lot of it just became, okay, well, if we wanna be in that circle, what is a part of the culture of that circle that's great? Like I really, Jelly had done a great job of, of working with influencers in MMA. Like he's a huge fight fan. And honestly, if you dig MMA, it, you're probably gonna dig some of Jelly Roll's music, you know, sure. or like if it, 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 if you dig WWF or WCW, Jelly Roll is kind of like the wrestling character of hip hop. Like he is kind of that guy. Like he's got that charisma to him. And so it was like, okay, well, dude, like, and he does so well holding the phone in front of his face and talking to the to the fan. Yep. Like, I'm not running an ad on his tour show. That's just some tour footage flashing up hey, Jelly Roll will be here, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, what's up, y'all? And Jelly's talking. I'm, I'm going to have the rowdiest show in town. If you're not at Dallas, Texas, and if, you, if you're if you not in Dallas, Texas, and don't live in Dallas, Texas, Houston, come on. Austin, come on. Yep. San Antonio, come on. Bring your drinking shoes. Not water, but I can't say that because Facebook will block it. You know, like, so, we, you know, like, we've, we've just, it's Jelly. It's Jelly yeah. connected his fan and then it's the multiple places you see him you start to see him on youtube you see him popping up algorithmically as we improved metadata you know and like things like that like i walked into his youtube and dude had a ton of videos but none of the keywords were tagged properly none of the metadata was at all close to even right like it, it, it needed a complete overhaul but it, it, those are the things that an independent artist can get right now like right. you you can learn that stuff now right. and not. Come to some manager that finally notices you two or three years down the road and had your business completely whacked because you haven't put it. You any can get pictures. your
0: music registered properly now so that you don't have to chase down sound exchange later.
1: Yeah. And, like and that's anybody that, can do that.
0: Yeah, they don't you don't need a Rick, you don't need a Matt. You just need to know what we know. And I am so freely putting information out to try to help you guys, but it's up to you to actually do it. The yeah. stuff that doesn't sound sexy the ISRC codes and the metadata and things like that, that's going to be the difference between you getting paid and not getting paid, not whether you had this producer on your song or use this instrument. It's do we know how to track down the person who deserves to get their percentage of that penny? (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. what it is. And if we don't know that, if they don't know that they're, it just, the rich keep getting richer. I'll just leave it at that. So You, you started organizing. It was kind of an unorg. it was all out there. You just started bringing it all together and kind of organizing and creating paper trails and creating data trails and yeah. allowing the process to, allowing it to roll downhill to be collected into something it sounds like.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, admittedly, I don't know if Jelly would love me to say this, but I'm going to anyway. He'd never collected a sound exchange money
0: yeah he had he's humble enough to he would say that he he knew it could help another artist he would say that i mean i just had had an artist
1: millions and millions and millions of streams and had never ever registered one time for sound exchange
0: because here's the thing that you guys don't understand if it's on spotify sound exchange isn't collecting the money but if somebody puts it on iheart or pandora that's where sound exchange will go collect that money for you i just had an artist of mine say, Rick, oh my gosh, I just got a $16,000 check in December. He got a $6,000 check. He says, I've been missing money for the last 10 years. I said, yeah, but you're only getting paid on the last three. Yeah. And he was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, no, that's fantastic. That was a happy day when you, first day you registered him with SoundExchange.
1: Oh yeah, dude, that first check, he was like, holy shit, Bob, I'm buying something.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just the funny thing is sometimes artists just they they do all the tough thing to create the music but then they just expect it to just do something and it's like no you still have to have the the administrative right you need to have the marketing right you know like any business i audited you know there were departments and it right. was like okay there's a sales department there's a marketing department there's an accounting and hr department you know like there's, you know, the administrative assistance department, you know, like there's the payroll department in some places, you know, like, I mean, it's just like your business, you got to be all those departments as an independent artist. Cause it's like when I started working with Muscadine and when I started working with Jelly, I I was just able to look at him and be like, yo dog, if you or me isn't doing it, it's not getting done. Right. Okay. So let's figure out what's not getting done that needs to be getting done and put our time into that. And then, as we grow the business and can afford, we're going to start to hire people. So when did you start bringing on people?
0: When, when did that transition? When did it make sense for you? Because that's what I I, I try to explain to artists. You're your first manager, business manager, publisher, record yep. label. I, I, I provide the tools and resources for them to be those. At what point did you start bringing on? And from your opinion, and this is going to vary folks from person to person, who is the first person that you brought
1: on so so uh, manager is always the first person an artist should hire i believe like if they can get a manager happy go there now the next person that we brought on was a content creator video guy
0: just went around and shot made it easy shooter editor like it's funny you say that because i told somebody the other day i was speaking at an mba class at belmont I said, all of you that are here because you think you're going to be a booking agent or you want to be a manager, if you want to get on a tour bus, if you can shoot it, edit and post it, there's jobs waiting for you right now at every management company, every booking agency, every record label. That job wasn't even a job five years ago. You couldn't see what a creative person was for that type of thing. So you brought, so the first person is somebody that can help organize your business. Your your manager. Now, some of you are going to have to pay someone because one of the things that I want to get out of everyone's head right now is that somebody should be expected to work for you for free in the beginning. That was the case when there were million dollar signing bonuses, and the only way that you could get your music to the people was by going through record. Everybody was, that's the role that they were taking today more than ever. Pay for your education, make sure you're getting your education from the right people bring folks into your world, but compensate someone somehow for working for you because they are working for your business. Then the content creator person came in, which allowed you to get more stuff out more, more videos,
1: right? All of a sudden, when we dropped the, an album uh, in March, the "A beautiful disaster record, we shot videos to eight out of 12 of the songs. Yourself. If- Yeah. So in-house videos for eight out of 12 of the songs. So beautiful disaster was another record that we dropped uh, or uh, self-medicated. We dropped in October, we shot nine or 10 music videos to that, you know, and they ranged in price. I mean, we blew up a car in one of the beautiful disaster ones. So that one was expensive, but you know, (laughs) one of them, we shot at at my office on music row and one of the producers played the counselor and it's that live video. So we literally, only paid to fly the dude in for the feature, like that was all we paid because we had the video editor. On Didn't you pay- guys just go
0: down to Miami recently and shoot some
1: videos and stuff too? Yep, yep, yep. yep. We shot one for the upcoming record uh, down there, and then also shot that opener up video with Andrew Schultz. So, got it. Yeah, I mean, for us, like I, at this point in Jelly's career, I know if I went to a videographer. And I was like, "Yo, dude, shoot my video." And if it was any kind of reputable video team, I'm gonna get hit with a forty or fifty thousand dollar budget. Right. And it's like, if you can find, I'd rather pay someone forty or fifty thousand dollars and be on the payroll and get thirty videos out of them than a one time kind of hit, you know? So, but, like, so did, you guys just, can-
0: did you guys just hear what he just said? He could either give somebody else for one opportunity 40 to 50,000 or he could bring on his own person and pay them 40 to 50,000 brilliant most people yeah, don't think yeah. like that
1: no no and it's just the cpa in my mind i'm like okay we're scaling a business so we need to turn independent contractors that we love into employees that we can control and are dedicated to us i'm not fighting right. with anybody else for time they are an employee of the business they have expectations they have all these things so it's like if i'm going to invest and make this investment it goes back to the roi return on investment i'm going to get a significant amount more return from a guy on my payroll making 50 grand a year than i am if patrick toehill or somebody that shoots nf videos is it, i pay him his fee because right. i mean awesome but he's just still an independent contractor and this guy i can make miles I can run 100,000 miles with this car, whereas I just get to rent that car and the mileage limit's like 2,000 miles. So it's like, I don't, I don't want that. I want the and guy- here's the thing today. Nobody cares who shot your damn video. Nobody gives a no shit. No one cares. How, like, Like how good the videos are. Like, honestly, there's a price point in my head with Jelly Roll fans where I'm like, dude, if I go out and I do a $30,000 Jelly video, His fans start to connect and be like, dude, you just spent more than I make in a year on my jelly roll video, but we have low income fans, but I think that's, you know, there's a lot of genres. But here's what's
0: interesting. Wait, but let's talk about that. You have low income fans, but you do a seven figure business. Yeah. Think about what he just said. He has low income fans, but they do a seven figure business. That is what relationships will do for you. A hundred percent these fans, they may only be able, you know, he talked about a thousand fans give you a hundred dollars when you have the relationship, that's like a week's pay for some of jelly's fans. You know, it's like, and, and, and that's the thing is that, but see, here's the thing is they'll go put his songs on stream. They'll go put his songs on repeat. They'll listen to him every day on Spotify. And guess what? That's contributing money to the coffer. They, they, yep are supporting where they can support. They are, I mean, what you just said, we have low income fans and this guy as an independent artist is doing over seven figures. Well, shit, sometimes he's doing over seven figures a month. (laughs) You know, it's like, there's those months that happen because everything, I mean, it's like the craziest thing that's happening right now. So when someone gets to, a million monthly listeners, you hear a lot of different things about, well, streaming, you know, there's really not any money there or what, what kind of numbers are we talking on a monthly basis from a million people, a million monthly listeners on a good month?
1: This is the important thing to know. So a million monthly listeners is different for everybody. Jelly roll. I promise you gets more streams per listener than almost any act. I could imagine but any act i've worked with for sure right he gets more streams per listener so his 1.8 million monthly listeners is worth significantly more than on bloodlines 1 million listeners because jelly's averaging probably seven streams a day per listener
0: wow insane right yeah so think about this guys so if you've got 7 million listens. And we say it takes a million listens to generate $5,000 to be divided up. So that's $35,000 potentially a day with, you guys are hearing what I'm saying right now, 30. So do the math. That's over a half a million dollars a month in streaming royalties. But here's what the cool part is. Who owns Jelly's Publishing? Jelly. Jelly. Who's the majority of the songwriting credits on his songs? Jelly. Who owns the master recordings? Jelly. So who's making
1: all the money? Jelly. <laughs> and I get 15% of it and I'm proud of that, you know. So that's the point
0: that I'm trying to make yeah. is that stop making excuses people. It's like yeah. I tell you it's the 3 Rs. It's the right music. For the right audience but you have to be the right messenger if jelly yes. if he had the right music the right message but the wrong audience I mean, he's not out trying to get drake fans he's no. not out trying to find Lil wayne fans he's gonna no. go find post malone and eminem and nf and Lil
1: peep machine gun kelly yellow yes. wolf it's like knowing
0: it. your audience but yeah. when you've got a million fans now <laughs> so People are always like going, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that's that takes time that takes commitment that takes not trying to please everyone that takes knowing who your audience is that takes getting to know your audience well enough to be able to speak their language that goes back to what Matt said earlier. If these people like them, who else might like them? It's called those those uh, those other audiences, those look-alike audiences. It's like, okay, if they like WWE, will they also like this? And maybe they're yeah. NASCAR fans, or maybe they're, yeah. where if do they, they
1: shop? If, where if they, do they like
0: eat? Kid Rock
1: and MMA,
0: Ugh. they're probably going to love Jelly Roll. Absolutely. And that's <laughs> the thing, is they do not sit around and wait for people to find jelly they put jelly in front of as many people as they can and that is what's brilliant about this whole operation now when we were just talking about the half a million dollars a month in streaming that's just one revenue stream yeah some of you some of uh, will never experience that but you don't have to in order to be successful but one of the things that i've noticed about your organization is that all you're doing is continually adding pieces to the pie. It's like you've set it up where all these different businesses complement each other. And now you can invest in this. And now if he wants to invest in other artists and take a piece of their publishing, he can, if he wants, I mean, there's so many
1: options. And we are like, that's, that's what we're doing. Like we created a place on music row. We sell the video team out. We do all these things, you know? So it was like, it's like Jelly's built these big businesses now that he owns. And it's like, there's going to be money there after he retires. Right. You know, but after he wants to no longer make music, he's going to have all these other businesses in place that be built together. That it's,
0: will. it's funny you say that because last night, Craig Wiseman, who if you don't know Craig Wiseman, he's written forever. People yeah. were like, well, if you only make this amount, because all my friends always ask me, what's the number one song make? I said, well, if it's good, it gets a million bucks split up against everyone. He's yep. like, yeah, but if he's only had like four or five, that goes away. I said, yes, but then he opened up a publishing company. Then he opened up a record company and they started making smart investments. So that's one of the things it's like, you, you don't see, you don't just don't spend it. You know, it's like a lot of yeah, times when yeah, people get biggest, it in right the, away, it's like, oh, they get
1: the, Yeah. The biggest thing is that ROI is important. We're, we're going to keep going back to return on investment, but you know what you have to do? you have to make an investment. Yes. So if you don't make an investment, there's not going to be a return. And then if you're not, if you're not wise enough to know, Hey, well, if this investment worked, maybe I should make this investment and you invest your returns back into the business. At some point, you're not going to have to, unless you just want to, you know, like it'll get that. But for the longest point, like when i set marketing budgets, you know, like I have a general, like, okay, well, this is what I'm going into. But if the revenue starts to increase, so does that budget. You know, if I'm seeing results, I put more money into the slot machine. If the slot machine's paying back more than I'm putting into it, I don't stop.
0: Well, I told somebody that last year, I said, you know, I put a dollar into Facebook and got $7 back. How much money do you think I'm going to put into Facebook as much as they'll allow?
1: Yeah, like there's no limit to that. As long as I keep getting seven bucks back for every yeah. buck I put in, I'll wake up every morning and liquidate. Even if, the bank. Only, <laughs> even if you're only getting
0: three, you know, it's like it's one of those things. It's like, and and that's that's the thing that I just as we as we wrap this up, I want to be respectful of your time. But it's like I think the the moral of today's story is if you want to have a successful business, you need to treat it like a business. And in business, there's thought. There's organization. There's hiring the right people, finding the right team. I always tell people, I don't care how great your hamburger is. If you're trying to sell it to vegetarians, you know, make sure that you're getting it in front of the right audience and be okay not knowing, but don't be okay not knowing how to go get the answers. Today, there is no excuse on not to be able to find the answers. Now, the last thing I want is everybody just bombarding you on Instagram? Listen to my song. Tell me what you think. Uh, where, what? What? Where is it that people can find out more about you? What is it that people can ask you and what can they not ask you? And I want you to be honest. So I don't want all, because I, I don't, when people just send me YouTube links and videos, I delete them. It's like, there is no time in my day to spend on people that don't even know how to go. Hey, Rick, love your podcast. You know what I mean? It's like, there are, is no introduction to anything. Where can people find you? If you want to be found, you don't have to be found. We could keep you still. And what would your, what, what, what should they reach out to you for if they're looking to hire a video crew or what is it that we can bring revenue back into your business?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys need me, my email is simply Matt M A T T at Wardog W A R. D-O-G-M-G-M-T dot com. So simple as that. Shoot me an email. Now, what you should ask me. is Yes,
0: let's be very specific.
1: How to grow a certain aspect of your existing business. Don't send me new stuff. Don't send me anything. You know, if you've got an album or something you want to send me, send me the marketing plan to accompany it and let me grade your marketing plan. Be like, well, this might work. or Because I'll give you a lot of suggestions. And, you know, if, if you come to me with a kind of rough marketing plan or a kind of rough, you know, idea or like how can how go do you go up think with something? Further? Yeah. Come with something. Don't just like that was the greatest thing about Jelly Roll. He's like, I got this song and this video idea. How do we make this work, Bubba? OK, cool. Like you gave me a starting point. But right. if you're just like, hey, I'm an artist. How do I make money?
0: I'm Listen gonna- to my music and tell me what you think about it. Who gives a shit what I think? Period. Yeah, I'm no, not your fair. fan.
1: I'm not your fan. Like, I'm not the fan most of the time, unless you're like making like Lil Peep, Black Bear, Post Malone music. I'm probably not your guy, but I've given a lot of good advice to country musicians that being said. So it's like, I think that the thing is, is you've just got to have something going for you. Like Gary and Charlie, super entrepreneurial. They're like, Hey man, we're playing these three hour cover gigs and we, you know, we're willing to, to, to play these cover songs on the internet okay, cool. Let's come up with a plan. We're going to do a eye Monday, every Monday at 4 PM, we're going to put that thing out. Right. We're going to do it for at least 52 weeks. And then some of them are going to work. Some of them are, are not. And when they don't, that doesn't mean you stop. That just means it was probably song selection more than anything else. And it's like, okay, well, and if you've got just a dollar a day to spend on that musketeye Monday, we're going to spend a dollar a day. You know, like we're at least going to put something into the ad machine. We're not going to just like, put stuff in there you know like we're really gonna like make the most out of a little but they came to me at least with hey we got these three songs we want to record we've got this studio we're recording it at we've got this amount that we're willing to do we've already got this many tour shows and it's like okay well i can like i can bridge a couple connections and get you more beats or i can bridge a couple connections and make sure that the right people see the music or yeah so like that was the biggest thing is you've got to have some kind of an idea of what you've got, so self-awareness is key, and yep. but also where you want to go, like, and, and be realistic, you know, like, because right. I put out music and don't do any marketing, right, Rick? Like, still Matthews is an artist. I put out music, and I don't do any marketing, and I merely do that. So when an artist comes to me, I'm like, dude, I, I do nothing, and I stream more than you daily.
0: Right. Like, I've never
1: ran an ad. I've never done anything, and I'm out streaming you daily, like, that's sad. Like, okay. So like, if, if this is the barometer, like you're doing nothing or what you're doing is absolutely not working. So you should stop doing it and let's figure out how you should spend your time.
0: That you know, is, that, that that is key, key. And that is crucial. And you know, we talked a lot about ads and don't worry in the show notes, I'll show you guys how to go watch uh, my free ads training. And we walk you through the six types of ads that you should be okay. running real quick, Nashville, Tennessee, jelly's hometown. He books the Ryman. You guys rent out the Ryman auditorium. Yep. He doesn't put it out on sale to the public, but he sells out his show in 30 minutes. How was that? I mean, that's that's like, I, I saw him cry on Instagram. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like...
1: Yeah, dude, it's insane. Like, pre-sale codes are, are amazing and mailing lists are amazing. Like, Having a mailing list is going to serve you so well. And if you think people don't read emails, you're crazy. They don't read emails if they don't want to hear your message. Correct. But if they really want to hear your message, they're going to read it.
0: You know? they realized that those were pre-sale tickets before they went on to the public, they responded and they reacted because his audience is trained. Mm -hmm. No one trained that audience. They just didn't magically go, oh, I should open every jelly roll email that comes along. Oh, no, he trained his audience. And that's what I want to encourage you guys to do. Treat it like a business. Train the audience. Be okay trying things over and over again. Don't expect anyone else to all of a sudden come in and magically run your business. Show up with something. I love what Matt said. Come with something to kind of get us started and then we can go from there dude i so appreciate you taking the time to do this this hour has gone by and there's so many nuggets inside of this uh i think it's just going to be able to touch a lot of people and i'm just excited to get back out on the golf course with you so we can chat more and have you look into my business a little bit you know what i mean it's like have an outside set of eyes come in and say okay Here's what I got going on. What others, you know what I mean? And that's what people don't understand is they're always like, Rick, you're always investing to learn more about your business. I said, because a fresh set of eyes is the best thing that you can bring into your business at some point, because we get on blinders and somebody who understands music, but more importantly, understands business and understands the way people react to certain things Those are the type of people you want to bring into your business. That's why people will hire me to come in and take a look because they've been so caught up in what they're doing that we can come in and bring an outside perspective into this. So, dude, I appreciate you. We will talk again sooner rather than later. I love the fact that you're here and you're close by. And uh, thanks again for uh, sharing your experience with everyone. I appreciate you.
1: Dude, I appreciate you having me. Let's go tee it up soon.
0: I just wanna say thank you to uh, Matt Wallace once again for providing such valuable information and letting us know that it is possible without a record label. And it's smart to think about the business of music. Thank you again. Once uh, again, I wanna tell you about the MIB Secret Society. It is a subscriber only podcast. I release a episode for subscribers only once a week. And you can find out more by going to rickbarker.com forward slash secret. Links and details from what we talked about today, you will find in the show notes. All you have to do is head over to rickbarker.com forward slash podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.